0: the Frog for Life podcast. I'm your host, Rob Berline. Medical leave. And so when I went out on a medical leave, while there was understanding, it was primarily shock because they had seen no evidence of any difficulty with executive function. That is the voice of Jim McClarty, who will talk about his journey as a dementia patient. Jim will speak about how his diagnosis has affected his personal and professional lives as well as how he manages his own actions along with his interactions with other people.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to the Frog for Life podcast. I am Melissa Austin Weeks, Associate Director in TCU Alumni Relations. And we're so glad you're here with us today for part two of Let's Talk Dementia. And I am joined today with Dr. Michelle Kimsey, Assistant Professor of Nursing for TCU Harris College of Nursing, and Jim McLarty, who is a person living with dementia. Jim is a retired nursing executive and healthcare consultant who retired early from his career because of a rare form of dementia called Bingswanger's disease. So I welcome both of you to the podcast today. I'm really excited to hear your story, Jim, but I want to start first with Dr. Kimsey telling us how you all met before you share your story.
2: Okay, I would love to. Uh, Jim and I met about two years ago when we were doing a study um, looking at people who were living with dementia and their caregivers and their health literacy needs. And we connected. He mentioned he would love to. He was a nurse and he wanted to talk to students. So I invited him to speak with our students. He uh, made a big impression the first time at class. The students um, invited him onto the board um, of the Students for Dementia Friendly TCU, which is a student organization. So he and his wife are on the advisory board of um, of that group. Um, He has not only um, he has talked to my students. We have done many seminars together. He is also a board member of Rethinking Dementia. He is a huge advocate for those living with dementia. And currently I will call him, he is my friend now. Uh, He is a co-speaker, a teammate of mine in all we do to raise awareness and teach others about dementia. And currently he is in my class as a co-teacher here on campus for our dementia elective. So um, where you find Jim, you'll find Michelle and and sometimes his wife Nancy tags along and and she's been a great help and she's involved um, pretty much on the same level as Jim is.
1: I can imagine um, I had shared with you all yesterday when we were kind of doing our pre-production meeting that I, I was a, I graduated from the nursing school in 89 and how I, how much I would have benefited from having someone like you, Jim, um, to see as a role model living with dementia and helping me as a young nurse, um, how to best care for my patients. So I want to hear your story, Jim. I want to hear a little bit about you, and I want to invite you to share your story of how, how you got here today.
0: Okay. Um, one of the, well, as you mentioned, I have Benzwinger disease. It falls under, as far as forms of dementia, under vascular dementia, but in total, all forms of dementia, it represents about two percent of all forms of dementia. And so it is extremely rare. Uh, from a personal standpoint, my wife and best friend and I have been married for 44 years. Um, and we have two adult children who are great, loving, caring adults. And we have, I really do think he's the benchmark grandson across the US, uh, but a six-year-old grandson named Joa. But as far as how the disease began for me, midwinger disease attacks executive function. So it's those skills that we use at work or tasks that are much more difficult. And in early 2015, I was beginning to struggle with tasks and function and analyses that I had done for years. And um, I saw our family physician and he monitored it. It continued and ultimately was referred to a neurologist, but my conditions worsened and I was working about 14 to 16 hours a day to hide my deficiencies from my employer and my coworkers. And so our physician basically said, you know, your lack of sleep because of the hours you're working isn't helping us get to figuring out what's going on with you, what I have to do to get you on a medical leave. And so when I went out on a medical leave, while there was understanding, it was primarily shock because they had seen no evidence of any difficulty with executive functions. The other thing with Ben Schwanger disease is the portion of the brain that controls speech um, is is most resistant to the progression of the disease. And so then my speech was for the most part okay. And I do okay in one-on-one situations like this. But I joke that if people have a longer conversation with me, I go down rabbit trails, I lose words, I lose thoughts, and it can be downright painful for them. And I usually, when I have you know friends that I haven't spoken with in a while, um, I give them that warning up front. And I said, I don't mind being redirected uh, or told to hush, anything. But, um, but that is um, a fairly common component of the disease and for where I am now. But it fin- it took about six to nine months for the neurologist to give us a diagnosis. And there were several possibilities because of some of the symptoms. MS was considered, uh, micro seizures were, was considered um, vasculitis of the brain was also considered. Uh, so we really weren't prepared for dementia. And when he said benchwanger, we both just look at it, looked at him. And my wife is a nurse as well. And, and then when he said, it's a form of dementia, we really didn't hear anything else after he said that. So, but he, as well as our family physician have been extremely supportive and with us on the journey all the way.
1: Okay, so there's some things I want to unpack from that. So, because you said hiding deficiencies. I've heard that a lot from people who have maybe a parent or a spouse, someone that they live with, that either the couple is hiding it from others or the person living with dementia is hiding it from others. So what is an example of some things you were hiding that you didn't want others to know you were struggling with
0: um it was really primarily work for example uh preparing an update for the client executive team i could do it but it took me a lot longer to get it done or doing an analysis of a report um i got those things completed but it that's why the longer hours and so as far as my coworkers knew i they had. A, they saw a completed product. They just didn't know that I had worked late into the evening to, to get it right. So
1: did you hide anything from Nancy? Absolutely not. Okay. Um,
0: and I and I never have. Initially, I was uncomfortable, um, and I would tell her not to tell people my di- diagnosis. But that was only for a short period of time, and I. And it affects my processing skills greatly. So uh, I may ask more questions, or my, you may need to tell me how to do something much slower. And so up front, now I will tell someone I have a rare form of dementia. And so my processing skills are slow. So we may have to take this slow. I had some x rays done this morning, in fact, and I told the x ray tech up front, you need to be aware of this. And she took her time and it was fine.
1: And so what, um, why were you resistant to Nancy telling anyone?
0: Um, I think probably because I had gotten a lot of comments of "Well, you don't sound like you have dementia. And, and that was in, in the beginning, that was, that was probably fair, but, um, and so I didn't want And that was frequently a response that she or I would get, and so I just didn't want to deal with that. Yeah. Uh, But as we continued, um, now I carry a card in my wallet that, if I need to give give it to a clerk in a more discreet manner, that says I have a rare form of dementia. I am fully aware of my surroundings. I am competent, but I may need assistance in you explaining. Information, I right? and but I also will tell clerks that if we're going to work on something, you know, for a longer time.
1: Yeah, I think it's part of the just that education piece that um, it's almost kind of like inherent bias. You know, people just have these this bias about how they think someone with dementia is supposed to look, act, be.
0: I totally agree, and I think when you hear the diagnosis of dementia, when I said we didn't hear anything else, I think, number one, you jump to the end phase, because as nurses, we both knew what that was. But I think even other individuals may have had a friend, family member, or a friend's family member that they have known about that are in the end phases. The other thing is what you alluded to a moment ago, is the stigma associated with it. Because I have literally had physicians talk over me uh, with me, you know, being there. In one case, uh, a physician said to his assistant, I don't know what the blank is is wrong with him. And it's like, excuse me, I'm, I'm sitting here. And then in other cases, um, my wife will be there and they'll direct comments to her. And she'll say, he's sitting here, ask him. So... Now with our regular physicians, that doesn't happen, but we have been referred to other docs and that has happened.
1: Wow. I mean that kind of goes into the next question I was going to ask you is what are people scared of when they hear the diagnosis dementia? And you you said it's people go straight to the old image that we see in a lot of movies and things that happen with their grandparents and
0: yeah. You know, the other thing, I think it's fear of the unknown. Mm -hmm. But, you know, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. And so and also I've told people who would have thought in early 2020 that we would have faced a pandemic that, you know, impacted the entire world. I certainly didn't. And so none of us knows exactly what our future holds. But when you're given a diagnosis like dementia or even depends on the form of cancer, it's the unknown of how am I going to progress with this? Yeah. So I think that's a big factor as well.
1: So you and Nancy were sitting in the office. Well, I actually, I want to go back to something. It took so long because they just didn't think that dementia was part of what was going on with you, or is it because of the Benzwangers being so rare, or why did it take so long?
0: Well, I think there's, and and unless someone is more advanced, I think in any kind of early form, early onset dementia, it's a rule everything else out until that's the only thing left. And he did. I mean, um, I joke that I got poked and prodded for, um, for that period of time. And so, and plus, because of some other symptoms, he potentially thought, well, there could be an MS component here, or micro seizures, um, or, and then vasculitis of the brain. Um, so he was ruling all of those out. And after he had figured everything, looked at everything, uh, we had an appointment with him, and then that's when he told us, I've, liked, I've looked at everything else, and I believe you have uh, Wingers disease. And, and he was- probably explained more in that first meeting,
1: Yeah. Spirit. Yeah, and you said that took nine months.
0: Yeah, I don't won't say exactly, but it was about six to nine. So,
1: did you notice a change in some of your symptoms during that six months?
0: Yes, I declined further uh, because I had been on just a leave of absence, and um, one of the testing that's done is called a neurocyte test. And it's basically looking at your cognitive and skills from many directions. And I had had one in 15, then I had a second in early 16, and it showed decline. And because it attacks my processing skills, I am many times aware of a change before even Nancy picks up on it. And so there was really no way I could return to work Yeah, and, and be successful.
2: Yeah, I think a key here, too, is Jim was an advocate for himself, because when he first went, am I correct, that he kind of said, Jim, you know, you're getting older, but Jim persisted, you know, like, no, 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 you advocated for yourself throughout this, thinking, no, no, there's really something wrong here.
1: Yes, and you should really be commended for that, I think. Dr. Kimsey, I shared that with you privately that I've heard, um, I've had close friends, one pretty recent that went to the doctor and just kind of, you know, minimized her, 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 um, sharing with him. I think something's going on. And he kind of did the, oh, you're too young, come back in three months and let's see. And so know this is just part of that education piece that you knew something was going on jim and you just really said no this is not an old person's i'm not it's not Uh, i'm getting old
0: one thing i will say about our family physician is he said you may need to consider that this is part of the aging process and i was in my mid to late later 50s and i told him i said brian I'm probably not as fast and sharp as I was in my twenties, but this isn't normal. So one thing I appreciated about him is he said, okay, email me things that you see and that you're aware of. And he said, we'll take it from, and I did regularly during the week. If there was something that happened, I would email him.
1: Okay. So now that you're diagnosed, you walk out of the doctor's office and I'm going to also ask Dr. Kimsey to weigh in on this too, is what do you do next? Where do you go?
0: Um, Initially, and I think I've covered a lot of this initially, it was shock. And then my professional career was sort of yanked away from me. And so it was, what do I do with my time? And, um, and then also the, because of not my symptoms not really being obvious, the perception of others, particularly my employer, was um, was a consideration for me because my work ethic and my integrity have always been critically important to me. So um, that was initially what I did. But and I can talk about this more. But I also chose to volunteer. I was on a homeowners association committee, but I also volunteer at our church and it what our pastor had suggested truly was the last thing on my list Uh, and that was the nursing home ministry and not because I didn't enjoy geriatric patients but we had had some personal experiences with my stepfather in nursing home that they didn't give the best of of care and then secondly realistically I see that as potentially in my future but it's like okay we're going to give it a try And I am so thankful that I did. It was such a blessing to me. And I loved the residents. um, And I also learned a lot because there were lots of residents there in varying forms of dementia. And I learned, I had gained insights about people living with dementia and also what I saw that I thought was really bad with both family members, nurses, and physicians. So I, that was extremely helpful. But if you're asking as, as far as where I am today, and I, that may be a later question. Um, I, and so I, I'll let you defer. I'll defer to that for you if you want me to co- okay. continue with that or not.
1: Um, so it sounds like you took a lot of your, I guess, sadness and disbelief and shock over your life change and you decided to benefit others that that's kind of how you coped and so what I what I'd also like to know is what Dr. Kimsey what does a person do after they leave the doctor's office most doctors are not really equipped unless they're specialists in dementia to tell you okay here's what you need to do next. So we have a, maybe we have a a family member that's listening to this podcast. They just found out where do they go? What do they do? Um, You know, I think with Jim being an advocate and a healthcare professional, he was kind of at an advantage of where to go, but most people aren't. So what, what do you do?
2: That's a great question. And one thing I want to before we go down that road is everybody is so different. So we always say, if you've met one person with dementia, you've met one person because everybody's personality is different. So Jim handled it the way Jim you know, his personality wanted to, but I have to tell you, walking out of that office has got to be extremely difficult. And that what Jim did in the beginning saying, you know, we're not, let's just don't say anything yet. I do think there's a process you have to kind of go through because I think you're in shock when you walk out, even if you thought you might, you know, had a little inkling that that may be what it is. But I think we need people to help come alongside and navigate because there's so much to navigate. It's where do I go, whether it's support, you know, do I need there's support groups or support groups for people with dementia and caregivers separately or together. There's, um, classes all the time, the problem is trying to find them, correct? But there are a lot of educational classes that you can equip yourself to become more of an expert in what's going on. Um, there are counselors. I mean, I think I have mentioned many times to my friends, you know, go, go see a counselor if that's what you need to do. Everybody reacts very differently. And I think we see conflicts where, you know, I have a friend who has dementia and she is very, holds it close to her, doesn't want anybody to know, but her husband really needs support. Mm-hmm. And so he needs the counselor, he needs the support group. So it's really a tricky situation, but there are resources out in communities, but it's just, you've got to navigate them. And that's really difficult for people who, I mean, Jim's in, you know, was in healthcare, so he kind of did have a head start, but not really trying to navigate where to go and where do I fit in because if you the the trajectory is so long so somebody who has early stages may not enjoy being in a support group you know that's towards the the last stages I mean it's just really complex so we do need navigators and that's kind of where I think rethinking dementia is coming in to let us help you what are your needs what are your concerns and you know doing, educational seminars where we focus on just the beginning pieces. Like what do you need those early stages? Because it's very different than what you need in the middle stage, you know? So um, there's just, we got to kind of figure out a way to make it easier to navigate.
0: I would totally agree because the things that I described were how I dealt with it personally. My wife and I did research on, and our, the neurologist didn't give us a lot of information about, Ben disease and what to expect. But when we looked and most of the information we found was on the National Institute of Health website. And when you looked at the description, my wife said, oh, my gosh, you're, you're classic. But we couldn't find a lot of research or, you know, support. And Dr. Kimsey has been a godsend to us as far as showing us resources that exist that we had no idea were out there. And so, um, I think that's important. The other thing too, is I randomly met a geneticist on a trip. Um, and she has been extremely helpful in sending me information, but it's, I think she has special access to studies and it's that I certainly can't find. So, um, so it's not even for those of us in healthcare, we may be able to advocate for ourselves, but as far as knowing where the resources are, we didn't.
1: Yeah, and so how do you find that? I mean, there's a couple of things. I, Dr. Kimsey, I because there might be some people who didn't listen to the part part one where you talked about rethinking dementia. So I want to kind of recap again what TCU, what the nursing school is doing. But I mean, you know, some people don't have a computer. So like, what do you, where do you go? I mean, do you just. I would encourage
2: that, you know, I would encourage everybody to talk to your physician. First of all, now that may not are the nurse that's in the office, but you need help. You want access to resources. And some um, I do know that there are people you know, nurses who can come alongside and maybe direct people you know, to those resources, but if you don't have a computer, you're right. And we assume everybody has a phone and a computer and they don't. Mm -hmm. And there is a large percent of people who are living with dementia out in the community who do not have access. And so my, I would stay close to my physician and talk to, you know, get even in your churches, you know, we're reaching out to churches. So maybe churches can help those living with dementia. We've got to have a, a place for them to go. And I think I would first and foremost go with the, the person that you've gotten that diagnosis from and say so and just be persistent. I was gonna say need, be pushing.
1: Yes, I need help. I need help. And so Jim who manages your medication the neurologist
0: um he does a few of the meds but because there's such a mixture of meds um our family physician manages the majority of the meds because he can look at, you know, contraindications of, uh, well, no, he shouldn't take this.
1: Yeah.
0: But there's a couple of the meds that are specific, neurologically related, that the um, neurologist manages. Yeah. But um, so he he does that. One thing about the meds that was hard for me as a nurse, and I praise my wife on how she handled it was giving medications is a basic skill you learn in nursing school. And we would do our meds for a week at a time. And I was struggling with that more and more. She'd always double check them. And I was making more and more mistakes. And and it would stress me out. But it's like, I I, I can do this. And so one evening, she just said, it seems like that really stresses you out. If you would like me to take it over, I will. But if you want to keep doing it, that's fine. And I'll just double check it. But so I was willing to give it up because she gave me a choice. And I think that's important with anyone, depending on what phase they are in, include them in decision making. Yeah.
1: So if we're talking about children or spouses or (laughs) a confidant. If the person, you know, is, is making people feel like they have a choice. It sounds like that's really important. Extremely. Because when you have dementia, you sort of have lost that control over having choices and you don't know, you know, you've lost control over controlling your future.
0: Yeah. So she she and our physician both are good. Now she'll discuss, she'll, in fact, she's talking later this afternoon about some of my meds. I don't feel a need to be on the call. Uh, but if there's things about, you know, what that may be a um, course change or whatever, then I'm gonna be included in
1: that. Mm-hmm. I wanna hear what it was like to tell your children.
0: Um, well, I told both of them. Um, our daughter lives locally. And so, um, I mean, while she cried and she was upset, she started, her initial reaction was bury her head in the sand and this will go away. And so she wouldn't interact with me a lot. And it wasn't because she didn't care. I just, it was her way of coping of like, this will go away. And my wife finally said to her, He's been there always for you. Get your head out of the sand and support him and talk to him. And she did. And she's an awesome support for us. But that was just sort of her initial reaction. Our son was working his PhD at the University of Oregon. And so he was miles away. And obviously he was stunned, upset. But it was also this panic of how do I help and support long distance? And... And he's ta- he's really good um, at taking cues from Nancy of things that work for me now or don't work for me now, and so because he'll say, "Would this be okay to share with Dad, or would that you know would that be upsetting?" Those kinds of things, and so he's really good at that. Um, and and he'll ask me sometimes as well, but he takes a lot of cues from Nancy. As far as how can I, you know, how can I support dad and interact with him, but at the same time, not upset him?
1: Yeah. Okay. I have one more question for you, Jim. And then I want to shift because I want Dr. Kimsey to share the resources with us for people that maybe missed part one. What, tell, share with us what has, what have, has come out of this that has been a pause, like what's the good outcome that has come out of you learning that you have dementia?
0: There is absolutely good that's come out of it. Um, as a Christian, I firmly believe there is a purpose and a reason for this. I don't like my diagnosis and I'm not pretending that every day is easy because it's not, but my, I believe that strongly and I have a piece about that, but My wife and I sort of joke that we have two primary ways of coping, faith and humor. A lot of the things that I do that can be challenging or frustrating, we joke about because it's, I mean, you've got to cope somehow. But beyond that, coming in contact with Dr. Kimsey has been such a godsend for both of us. Uh, we've learned resources. I've had more opportunities to educate and advocate for for both just about dementia as well as the stigma associated with it. Uh, it's given me opportunities to speak uh, in public with others, and so that has been very, very helpful. And you know, I think um, as I have as the illness has progressed. Um, it's more, as I said, if you have a longer conversation with me, it's it starts to really stand out. But I think it's helped friends and family see that not all dementia is the same, and so I think that's been been helpful as well.
1: Yeah. Okay, Doctor Kimsey, I want you to tell us more about rethinking dementia. What is it? Where can they access it? How can they get a hold of you?
2: Okay. Now I would love to, this is our, our new, our new uh, center that we've developed. Um, and Jim, like I said before, as a part of this, it is through Harris college. We have started rethinking dementia, which kind of has three prongs. One is awareness. One is education. And one is research. Um, with the awareness piece that, you know, obviously education raises awareness, but we do that, whether it's through churches and having seminars, um, Uh, Harris College of Nursing actually is dementia-friendly certified, so every faculty member um, has had dementia basics, you know, to raise their awareness, and we have dementia friends all over the the, uh, hallways here. We educate our students. In fact, we're trying to make sure that every student gets dementia content throughout their uh, nursing uh, each semester. So they could possibly finish with, you know, 20 plus hours of dementia education because it's that important Mm -hmm. Uh, education. We have uh, our dementia course um, that is now a three hour course. Um, This semester we have speech pathology students. We have pre-med students. We have nursing students involved. Um, And then the research. And that's what has been a lot of fun is that's where we can pull people with dementia who are kind of our the prime focus of our center. We need them because they're the experts who are living with it that can direct us on what their needs are. So with our research, we have people with dementia interacting with students, whether we're looking at online visits or face-to-face visits, uh, trying to incorporate everybody and even the care partners. So students have benefited by the wisdom of people uh, who are living with dementia. And I think vice versa, because most of the people that we um, who are, there's probably 30 people who are living with dementia, who have really partnered with TCU and our students. And they will tell you that they have gained more from the students. And I think the students feel the same, but people with dementia enjoy giving back. That's kind of their, Jim is a great example of being this advocate but there are so many people who want to share their story. So they come to the course and, and share it. Or uh, the students have an organization called Students for Dementia-Friendly TCU um, that they can come speak at, uh, and that's campus-wide. We also have students, we have 69 that have graduated with certified dementia practitioner uh, certification. So there's a lot happening on campus, and we're trying to keep it kind of under that umbrella of rethinking dementia. Um, Currently, we are on the very last, last of creating our website. So hopefully within the month, that will be at, up and going at rethinkingdementia.tcu.edu. But any questions going forward before that's up, they can email me. Um, and that's, and I don't know if they, well, should
1: I tell yeah, them? Go yeah, go ahead and pass you your email address. Yeah, Yeah, my
2: email is M, as in Michelle, dot kimsey k-i-m-z-e-y at edu and i'd be happy to help navigate or get you to the right person or resources until that website goes up because the website is a place where i want people to come and not leave if they have questions or concerns or they want to be a part of research or they want to be a part of volunteering come along because we we can we can use you
1: okay so you said something really important volunteering What do you you need volunteers for?
2: Well, right now we have a lot of students. And when you were saying like, what's next? We have a lot of students who want to volunteer. So I think it's time in the spring to go ahead and start a TCU. They call them a memory cafe. We can call it whatever we want, but it's a place where people can come every week who have dementia or a care provider at just a social hour. And they have them throughout the nation, but we think uh, TCU needs their own, um, and so we would love to do that because I have a handful of students who are really to ready to volunteer to do that. Um, so the more once we have volunteers, we have students, but as soon as we get people in the community, we would love to establish some really great uh, programs. You know, we've talked about the football games, maybe doing something there. So there's a lot of things, but we just need you know help, and right now it's just kind of The students are are a big part of it right now. And then they graduate.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And so it sounds like if anyone's listening to this, if they have a church or, um, I don't know, a building that has a a nice room where people could gather and they wouldn't mind donating that space to you on occasion for um, people living with dementia and their, their loved ones to be able to come and just have some time where they can, I think you'd mentioned that they could come and do art or play cards or music. I mean, you
2: think about all that TCU, the university has to offer with our students. You know, we, they can, music students, I uh, mean, speech paths. There's so many students that could benefit and enjoy and, you know, and do their kind of show off their, you know, education and talents. And yet uh, the people with dementia, and their caregivers would benefit and enjoy that.
1: Right. Okay. So, um, if someone wants to get in contact with you, they just have to email you. Um, and certainly if they're interested in funding your research to let you know that too, uh, or well, yeah. if they're, if they're aligned with a company who dementia, um, care is part of their mission to get in touch with you. So absolutely please. Yes. So before we wrap up, Jim, I want to know what are maybe one or two things that you want, you know, pieces of advice, pearls of wisdom that you want to leave our listeners
0: with. Um, one would be if they be persistent, as Michelle said, if there's something going on with them or uh, a family member or friend. Two, I would say, a person living with dementia can have a very productive life if they're given the opportunity to do that. Um, they don't need to be hidden away or those kinds of things. And then thirdly, um, look for things, uh, whether it be through your faith or through activities, things that bring you joy and, and maximize those because, um, You know, the progression is going to happen, but you can still focus on those things that you, and that's one thing that my wife and I do, we focus on what I can do, not what I'm I'm no longer able to do. And that would be a, a, a strong suggestion because it's easy to mourn the things you've lost and there is some mourning naturally, but primarily focus on the things that you can do now.
1: I love that. And I love how transparent you've been and how authentic you've been. And, you know, if someone's listening and we've, we've changed one person's perception about dementia, or we've convinced someone to go see their doctor, that's the whole point of today. And it sounds like we need to meet um, Nancy. Maybe we need to have a part three where we talk about what it's like to, to love someone who has dementia. And what, you know, you, would Nancy be willing to share her story?
0: Uh, she may very well. I, I We'd have to
1: ask her. her. Right. Yeah, I
0: don't speak for her. Yeah, but she may very well be willing to do that.
1: Okay, well maybe we'll put that in our our back pocket. And Dr. Kimsey, I know you wanted to finish something as well.
2: Well, I just wanted to tag on to Jim's three things he wanted to leave and the fourth one is it ta- it's going to take all of us. I think Jim and his success, it takes all of us to come come around and it's the community effort. And I think that's what we're missing. And that's where we have to get rid of that stigma and come, come around. It's going to take all of us Absolutely. together.
1: Because dementia is a very isolating disease to begin with. Um, self-isolating and you're isolated from others. It's kind of just part of that whole... Um, Fear people have about mental illness and mental health, and you know how some of our behavior with dementia changes and um, scares people, and so they just kind of lump us all into that that box. But great stuff, y'all shared. It has been such an honor and pleasure, and I hope um, we have the chance, to, I, Jim. I hope I have the chance to actually meet you in person. Thank and- you.
0: This has truly been a privilege. I appreciate the opportunity
1: thank you for sharing your heart and your wisdom with us today. So, um we we will close today and and thank you everyone for listening on the Frog for Life podcast and um stay tuned for more um great work in the uh, rethinking dementia. Thank
2: you. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Frog for Life podcast. If you or a friend or family member would like to get in touch with us to share your story, please contact us on social media on Twitter and Instagram at TCU Alumni. We look forward to sharing our next story of how TCU Alumni are changing the world.